the bright stars and moon reflected over the Roman sky. In walks this old, debilitated man who was half blind. It was a cold night. And the Roman guards brought him in and he was shackled to the guard. But his demeanor didn't really match his body. It was an odd situation. I'd never seen anything like it. There was only one word that that came to mind. Because he was obviously suffering, but he kept telling me about these stories. About planting churches and sharing Christ. He was so joyous. That one word that came to mind was paradox. I, I didn't get it. I mean, he, he, would, he would bend over and he would scratch these scars that looked like spider webs. And then he would tell me about all the different times that he was beaten. Said over five different occasions, these people took these wooden rods and they beat him 39 lashes one time he said he was left for dead so it was probably the right decision so they would quit beating him but he was he was so joyful I, I, I don't understand what was going on but He knew that his fate did not look good. He knew that he was leading a charge that looked like defeat. The emperor of Rome, Nero, he was killing these people following the way. He would place them on top of these posts and he would light them on fire to illuminate the city. And he knew That would be his fate. But what do you do? He he kept praying to this God. He, He kept telling me about these stories. And he shared with me about salvation. And so we had conversations about what was going to happen in his life. He kept getting out this roll of papyrus and he would get charcoal and water and mix them together and write these letters to to churches. And on this one night, he was writing a letter to a church in northeast Greece. He was writing to a church that was experiencing suffering just like he had experienced. And so we were talking about what would happen as a result of this letter. And he was writing and never one time did he mention fear or worry or complaint. And in fact, he, he said the opposite. He, he thanked God for all that had happened to him. And so how, how can you thank God? How are you not worried? How are you not complaining? How are you not living in fear? And this is what he said. 
I will never forget what he said. He looked and he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer, in supplication, let your request be known to God and he will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, as we open up your word, let us transpose this context into our life and I pray that you would give us a freedom of peace that surpasses all understanding in Jesus name and everybody said come on everybody said amen praise God hey thank you for being here today I'm so excited and honored to be here my name is Pastor Chad from the Cross Point Mill Creek campus well I know we got a lot of people watching probably from spring break down on the beach. We might be a little jealous, but today's message I'm so excited about because I feel like it affects all of us in the house, okay? Philippians chapter four is where we're gonna be camping out at today. The name of the message is the prescription for peace. The prescription for peace. That's something we all need today, whether you are working, whether you're not working, whether you're retired, whether you're just now getting a job, we all need a little peace in our life because we live in a country that has a pandemic problem. The enemy has socially and spiritually engineered our life in such a way that there is a crisis on hand. Every single year, the statistic grows. Last year, 50 million people dealt with the issue of anxiety. Last year alone, $500 billion was spent in our healthcare on the issue of depression. It gets worse. Every passing generation, you are three times more likely to deal with this issue. In fact, kids deal with this issue more than anyone else. Yet, any time and any moment of all of history, kids have more stuff, more toys, more opportunities, more sports, more, more, more. More-itis is the condition that may lead to this stress. Three times more likely to deal with this depression. And so Paul gives us a prescription for this piece in Philippians chapter 4. And there's a small caveat. And the caveat is this. I know what you're thinking. You've read the books, you've gone to Barnes and Noble, you checked out the self-help books, you, you tried to let go and let God, you tried to have less fear and more faith, and it just doesn't work. And it just leaves you in this cycle of discouragement. 
In fact, you just get angry because you hear all these messages, you read all these books. And so the application for all of us today may be different for many of us. And I pray that for most of us, it's emotional, it's spiritual. But for some of you, it could be chemical, it could be psychological, it could be medicinal. But the Apostle Paul lays out a prescription for us this morning in Philippians chapter 4. And this is the first point in your bulletin this morning. We must rejoice in God's sovereignty. We must rejoice in God's sovereignty. Now, if anyone on the planet at any time had the biggest opportunity to be anxious, it was the Apostle Paul imprisoned in Rome about to be decapitated by Nero. If anybody had that opportunity, it was Paul, yet he says we must rejoice. Look what he says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord. What's that word? Always. I will say it again in case you did not hear me the first time. I will say it again. Rejoice. Paul says we must rejoice in God's sovereignty. Why? Because Paul knows this. Paul knows that peace isn't a place and a feeling. It's not a Roman prison and what you've experienced. Peace, it's a person and a faithfulness. That's a different perspective. What is that person? What is that faithfulness? It's the sovereignty of God, knowing that you're not in control to the one who is in control. What is God's sovereignty? God's sovereignty tells us that God is the rightful ruler and the supreme rank of the universe. That's not bad news this morning. That's good news. Because we don't have what it takes to carry the burdens of the world on our shoulders. And so Paul here, he's talking about the reality that God has a plan and we are to place our positioning under that plan. It's funny. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Nothing has ever occurred to God. God has never been baffled. He's never been taken by surprise. Oh, you got me there. I I missed it. I totally missed it. You got me. God knows everything. God is all powerful. He is sovereign. And so if Paul's life had a motto in light of what he has experienced, this would be his motto. Standing on God's sovereignty. Standing on God's sovereignty. Why? Because Paul knew exactly what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Look at what Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away any barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now, this is going to free us up. I want you to turn to your neighbor and just let them know you are better than a bird. Just let them know you are better. Even you are better. Now, turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm not really sure about you. No, I'm just kidding. But even you are better than a bird. See, worry is a control issue. Worry is about who is in control. It's an issue of who wants to be in control. And so Paul says in verse four, you got to rejoice. Now, this word rejoice in the original language connotes this idea of perpetually and continuously rejoicing in every situation, in every circumstance. There's no situation that cannot remove the rejoicing, in other words. Paul is saying in this moment that difficult situations can only enhance the rejoicing. You see it? Those situations enhance the rejoicing. Now, this is what he's saying. We don't just rejoice sometimes. We rejoice always. All right? So a little crowd participation. I want us to, I want us to participate in our rejoicing. We're going to practice rejoicing together. All right? I'm going to give you the mic. And on the count of three, we're going to say rejoice. You ready? One, two, three. I, there we go. We got some happy people here at the Sugarloaf Campus. All right, so <clears throat> we got to rejoice always. You ready? Let's 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 say this. If if I get promoted at work next week and I get a raise, what am I going to do? Rejoice. rejoice. If I've been waiting around for a long time and I've been I've been dating and I finally work up the nerve, and I bow the knee, and I say, will you marry me? And she says, yes. What should I do? Rejoice. Rejoice. That's right. If the Braves win the World Series, what should I do? Yeah, Y'all laughing way too much when I said that. Y'all know that's a big act of faith right there, 1992, Sid Bream. Shout out. All right. When the report comes back, and the cancer is gone, what should I do? All right. But look at what the scriptures say. It, it doesn't just say rejoice sometimes. It says rejoice when? Always. So what if I go to work tomorrow and I lose my job? What should I do? Rejoice. What, what if... I don't have the finances to pay rent or mortgage or the payment. What should I do? What what if the scan comes back and reveals that the cancer is still there? What should I do? What if what if the Georgia Bulldogs lose the national championship? <laughs> what should I do? 
Oh, that was harder than any of them. What is going on here, church? <laughs> Got to rejoice. Why does rejoicing matter? I want us to look at verse number five. Why does rejoicing matter? Rejoicing matters. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. In other words, this, this verse is not a call to reaction in as much as a call to a reaction, all right? So it says, because the Lord is near, I can be gentle in every circumstance. Why? Because anxiety is this. Anxiety is the consequence of perceived chaos. Chaos is nobody is in control. And chaos is not in God's vocabulary. Perceived chaos is not a reality. Here's what I found. That God will allow chaos in our life to test us who's in control. To reposition us, to realign us, to shift our perspectives. All right, well, how does he do that? Well, we'll have a little test run here. Raise your hand if the following makes you anxious. Raise your hand if the following makes you anxious. If you get anxious because you're late for a meeting or work, just raise your hand. Raise it high. Be bold. Be courageous. Raise your hand. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. Yeah. <laughs> Raise your hand if, uh, if your spouse makes you anxious. So, guys, you should not raise your hand. You, you're going to be in big trouble if you raise your hand. Uh, raise your hand if Atlanta traffic makes you anxious. Come on, you are lying or you just don't drive if you don't raise your hand. Did you know, keep your hand up, did you know that, uh, that, that you're three times more likely to die of a heart attack in bumper-to-bumper traffic? We all just need to move to North Georgia mountains. I mean, that's just, that happens. All right, keep it up. We're going to have a little therapy session now. We're going to have free counseling this week. Just email me, jamesmeredith@gmail.com. All right, we, we're going to take care of all your problems. All right, now if you raise your hand, just keep it up. Look around, those who are raising your hand. I want you to look. I want you to look at them, and I want you to say this. I'm giving you permission to say this at church because you don't need to say it tomorrow in an argument, all right? All right, I want you to look at them. Look at them deep into their eyes, Riley, deep into their eyes, and I want you to say, you are a control freak. Oh, y'all took that way too serious. All right, y'all can put your hands down. We we got to preach for like an hour and a half more, all right? This is not working out. Fear... (laughs) Fear is the faith of the worst possible future. Fear is faith in the worst possible future. And the reason we have so many control freaks in the house is because we continually fail at what we're trying to do, controlling the situation. See, we don't face anxiety by taking control. We face anxiety by relinquishing control. We don't face anxiety by taking control. We face anxiety by relinquishing control. That's why we must rejoice in God's sovereignty. That's point number two. Point number two, we must release our stress. We must release 
our stress. Look at verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, supplication, some of your verses say, present your requests to God. So here's what Paul's saying. That there's an enemy that's socially and spiritually engineering our life to take on the weight of stress every single day. See, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable. It happens. I mean, that's what we do. I mean, we have situations, we have arguments, we have stress, we have burdens, we have weight that we carry. It is unavoidable. But here's what we do. When we carry around those burdens and that stress, we try to anesthetize the pain. Here's what we do. We anesthetize it, and this is, this is, this is so crazy. This is so ironic. We anesthetize it with popularity. We put some popularity in there to try to numb the pain. And popularity says this. It says that we're known by how you're known. That you spend hours on, in, uh, on social media. You, you, you spend hours watching trash TV to numb the pain. And what, what happens? It just adds more weight. We're, we, we, try, we try to appear a certain way to be more popular. You see it? Uh, another way that we, we numb the pain is property. Property. I mean, we, bigger is better. We have the, the biggest house. We got to have the biggest pool. We got to have the white picket fence. We got to have the best car. We got we to gotta have the, the best. And we got to have the most it numbs the pain. And what numbs the pain actually makes the issue worse. And property says this. It says that, that you're, you're known by what you own. It's a lie. And then the third is this issue of power. Power. And power says, I'm known by who you own. I spend my life trying to climb the corporate ladder and get the raise. I want to be at the top because I don't want accountability. I want power. And don't miss this. This is so important. The very thing, the very thing that we use to anesthetize the pain is the very thing that causes more pain and more anxiety. You see it? And we wonder, like, you know, we, we wonder, like, why are we always tired? Why do we always just want to crash and lay on the couch and sleep for 10 hours or not be able to sleep? And why is it, it just feels heavy, like life is heavy. Life is heavy. We're carrying these burdens. And then all of a sudden, it's that one conversation with your spouse or your kid or, or, or maybe a colleague. And all of a sudden, you just crash and burn like, whoo! where did that come from? And you just realize, oh, 
I'm carrying around all this stuff to numb the pain. That's why Paul says it's such an important issue because we can't cover this up. He's giving us a prescription right here. He says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition. That, that's the prescription. That's the prescription. Prayer is the prescription for peace. Church, what would it look like instead of numbing the pain and anesthetizing the pain if we said, you know what, for 20 minutes, I'm going to refuel. I want to pick up God's word. I want to turn off the TV. I want to pray. I want to re-energize. I want to have conversations with my spouse and talk about life. I want to start disciplining my body spiritually and making my request known to God. You know what's going to happen? The burdens are going to be taken away. Now, will anxiety happen? Absolutely. But it doesn't have to imprison you. It can actually empower you. Can you imagine the testimony that Paul has in this moment in light of his situation? It's empowering the gospel. That's what it means to relieve stress. So number one, we must rejoice in God's sovereignty. Number two, we must release our stress. And last but not least, Number three, we must rest in God's security. We must rest in God's security. Look at verse seven. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a peace that does not make sense to anyone else on the planet. This is a peace that, that Paul has in light of his circumstances. Well, why does he have it? It's so important. He understands a principle that we miss in American Christianity. And this is the principle. See, God, he has never promised safety, but he's always promised security. See, God has never promised safety, but he always has promised security. Look at what Paul says back in Philippians 1. This is so good. This is so good. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my change, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul says it so much clearer than I can present it this morning. Paul has experienced storms. He's experienced shipwrecks. He's experienced starvation, all for the glory and advancement of Jesus Christ. And this is exactly why we experience this today. This is about God's sovereignty. This is an issue that we all have in our spirit 
as Christians. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying that God's sovereignty doesn't place me in the center to remove my problems. God's sovereignty places God in the center to reveal his power. So we have to take ourselves out of the center of our own manufactured Christianity for our self-advancement and place God in the center of Christianity for the gospel advancement. That's a drastically different perspective that we should have. The year was 1870 in Chicago. A prominent lawyer had everything this world had to offer. He was living the American dream. He had acres inside the city of Chicago. He purchased more acres. He had over 100 acres in Chicago. Had a beautiful family. His wife, Anna, four beautiful young girls, And the youngest, his fifth, was a little boy. He was connected to his church. He was a leader in his church. And he was close to a lot of the evangelists of the day in the Great Awakening. One of those evangelists was D.L. Moody. So D.L. Moody came to his church and he formed a relationship with Dr. Moody He said, hey, I want to bring my family out and see one of your revivals. He said, that'd be great. Later that year in 1870, his son caught scarlet fever and died. And you can imagine the weight of fear and anxiety that he had in his spirit. He didn't know what to do and said, you know what, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I'm going to place God in the center of my faith. I'm going to use this for his good. And so DL said, hey, why don't you bring Anna and the four girls over to England where I'm going to have a revival. And so right before they, they board the ship, Horatio has to go back into the city of Chicago to do some business. And so Anna and the four girls got on the boat, set sail for England. Halfway in the Atlantic Ocean, that ship collided with another ship. 226 people died in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Anna, his beloved wife, did survive. All four of his daughters met Jesus. She sent a telegram from Great Britain. Had two words on it. Saved alone. Saved alone. Horatio didn't know what to do. He got on his knees and he started praying. 
felt like God was calling him to go to England to visit his wife. And so he boarded a ship, set sail for England, and halfway in the Atlantic Ocean, the captain asked Horatio to come to the front, and he said, right there, it's where your four daughters died and met Jesus. Horatio gazed into the Atlantic. He pulled out a pen and paper and he wrote these words. He said, when peace like a river attendeth my way. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well, church, with my soul. Is it well? Do you have that peace? Can you stand with me all across this room? I want us to stand. I want us to declare this from our heart that we have this peace that surpasses all understanding. Peace is our portion. Peace is our prescription. I want us to declare that from our heart in the words of Horatio Spafford who penned these words. Let's declare the sovereignty of God is what we believe in and whatever falls our way, we will declare that peace is our prescription. It is well, church. Oh 
is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul and it is well with my soul to lift it up and it is well it is well with my soul and it is well it is well with my soul Amen. can you pray with me heads bowed eyes closed just standing where you are take just a moment See, Jesus knew that you don't face anxiety by taking control, but relinquishing control. And many of you are here today. You're carrying a burden. Now, I don't know what that burden is. Only you know what that burden is. You could be facing foreclosure. You could be facing cancer. You could be facing a host of different issues. Maybe you're battling addiction. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. You were not created to carry this burden alone. There's one thing that should keep all of us up at night. And that one thing is making our peace with God. My question this morning is real simple. Do you have a peace with God? Because it's that peace with God that will allow you to encounter every situation that will come your way. So how to have the peace with God. Here's how we have a peace with God. And you know how this goes. There's bad news that we are sinners. That's why we don't have peace. We are suffering the consequences of that sin. We are sinners. And the worst news is that there is absolutely nothing we can do about it. We can't go to church enough. We can't pray enough. We can't do enough. But the good news is that Jesus came to experience our pain in order to reign victorious over that pain. And the great news is that we can have peace today, tomorrow, and forever. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I trust you that you came and you died for my sin. You paid my debt. And God, I trust that you will change my perspective. I repent of my sin and I turn to you. We believe that if you prayed that prayer, you are a brand new creation, that you can have peace in spite of all your circumstances. So I want you to get that worship guide when you came in. On the inside of that worship guide, there's a perforated section. I want you to check the box that says, Today I've made Jesus Christ my Lord and my Savior. The book of Acts says that after we repent, we turn to Christ, we are to be baptized. Symbolically representing that our old self is brand new. So I want you to check the next box that says, 
I want to be biblically baptized. And for the rest of us, God, we are ready to experience you in a fresh, new way. Pray that our faith would be in your sovereignty and not in our situation. God, I pray that our faith is large enough to quit asking you to remove our problems and for for those problems to reveal your power. Give us the courage to always have peace because peace is our portion and peace is our prescription. Everybody said, amen, amen. Hey, uh, real quick before you leave, Riley, come up.